Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Once again, we find ourselves in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian. Tom? So good to see you. It's good to see you as well, buddy. You're always here. I've no, I turn to my left, and there's Tom. It's like a bad bad nickel. And anyway, Tom, okay. welcome. Thank you. Uh, we've got a, another Franciscan friar with what us. What a treat. Yeah, the, the Franciscan friars of the renewal. Uh, they're all over the place, we, so we're pulling them out of the parking I lot. I love it. Uh, and uh, and they're we're always welcome here at the Catholic Cafe. Free cup of coffee to you guys if you ever Thank show you. up. Yeah, absolutely. We have absolutely. good coffee. Uh, it's imaginary coffee. Drink it. It's really good for you. Um, so uh, we have Brother Innocent with us. Uh, you know, I told him this the other day that if I'd been born with the name Innocent, you know, I never would have been <laughs> chastised or gotten in trouble for anything because I was, you know, oh, not him. He's innocent. Uh, but uh, but Brother Innocent uh, with the Franciscan Fires and Rule, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Thank Catholic Thank you. Catholic. Very grateful. I uh, just trying my my accent. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. Thank you all. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Catholic Cafe here is <laughs> in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we're we're very southern type folks. Exactly. Sure. Uh, well, you you're blending in nicely with <laughs> with you. those gray robes. You blend in. Everyone looks at never. No one notices you at all. And the beards. Uh, so welcome, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, let's talk about you, your life as a monk, sure. uh, and maybe some elements in your life that maybe you turned out differently than you thought they would. Sure, sure. Right? Well, listen, for, you know what we ought to start with is just like, how did you get your calling? Where did that come from? Yeah, for the record, my, my uh, baptismal name was not innocent. My, my parents <laughs> and everyone in my family would probably tell you that I was kind of the troublemaker of the group. Right. And so that, that happened later on when I had my conversion. All right, very um, good. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, I've been a friar, uh, the Franciscan Friar of Renewal, for about three years now. I'm originally from Nebraska, so... Coming down south makes me feel right at home. Well, I heard Nebraska. Nebraska, yeah. Yeah, all, that, all that. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I've been here for about three years. And uh, before my entering into the order, I was a seminarian for the Diocese of Lincoln. Right. And so I was. So in, you felt a call pretty early on. I did. Um, I, 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 it's safe to say I felt it in high school. Um, we had a very, um, very good high school that kind of fostered um, young people's formation, fostered a prayer life, fostered a um, good relationship with priests. And um, I, I had that experience when I, when I was a junior and senior, and I, I met some great priests, and, and they invited me to be open. That was, right. the, it was the invitation. And um, we had a great seminary not too far away from where I, I lived. And uh, so when that call was there at, a, at, at that young age as a senior in high school, I decided to uh, say yes, um, at least to the process. Right. And uh, so it was very easy to enter in formation. And um, I had great, some great years in the seminary, um, very, very formative, um, very gr- Grew to know um, the Lord in a very um, kind of more more intimate way, like right. some of our brothers have been talking about. Um, but in my in my heart, there was something deep down that I longed for um, that was still there. It was a, a longing and thirsting that kind of didn't go away. And as time and the years went on, um, I realized that I had to kind of get in touch with what that was. And and through spiritual direction and through um, visiting um, New right. York and some different orders, I realized that the Lord was calling me to. To, to kind of go all in, to kind of this called the religious life, to, right. to give up everything um, and uh, to, you know, to be um, kind of all for Jesus, as they say. And uh, so that was a longing of my heart to just kind of go all in and in the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And, um, and with that, um, to live this life of communion with the Lord and with my brothers, um, this, this was the gift that I longed for. And um, it was just kind of developing then. And uh, in 2007, 
I uh, decided to enter, take that formal step, enter right. and enter the order. And uh, and now it's 2011. And so, they uh, obviously had a habit that was tall enough for you. Tall enough for me. It worked out well. Very um, good. And uh, it would be beautiful to show that not too long ago, um, my, my uh, I should say triplet brother, I'm a triplet, one right. of three, um, my tr- uh, triplet brother also became a friar. Wow. And so uh, we are identical. Uh, we... Look and now you always dress alike. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's, it's, it's weird if we, we look a look alike, now we dress alike, and people just don't get that. They're like, okay, that's weird. You know, something's, something's the matter with that. Um, so it's just a joy to share this life with him. You know, we've always been very similar, and uh, so we weren't surprised at all when the Lord called us kind of to, to live this life of consecration together. And, you know, the, what's really great is obviously whenever you, uh, you, you say yes to God, everything always works out perfectly. Amen. So now you became a, you became a friar. You, you felt at home. You, were, you gave it all to God, right? You put it all out on the table. You got rid of everything you owned. You gave it to everybody else. And life and, was just perfect. Right, exactly. <laughs> Although, uh, was it perfect? Well, you know what? It, that's, that's kind of the, the romantic part of it, the romantic part of life. Um, is that we, we go, maybe it's the same way in marriage. You go and you think you're going to get married and have a big family and life's going to be perfect. No worries at My all. My wife is perfect. <laughs> Bess is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> she is. Um, and so being a young, idealistic friar, um, I had this idea that, um, you know, I, I, when I tell kids my witness, I, I kind of wanted to be super friar. You know, um, I kind of want to be the friar, you know, that was all kind of saving souls out in the street preaching and, you know, um, you know, had the answer to everything. It could make everything better. Could, you know, you know, like they say, like solve world poverty right, and sure. homelessness and things like this. Cure for cancer. Yeah. No problem. Got that right here in my right pocket. Here. Deep pockets. Um, so this is, a, you know, this idealistic mind frame that we I really just wanted to um, to kind of be to, to go out there and give everything and and kind of have kind of be that super friar, you know. But God and threw you a curveball. God he? threw me a curveball, kind of early on in this religious life, and um, and this is kind of kind of the the point in my life where I started to understand that there's a, there's a kind of a first calling where you say yes to the Lord, and this can be very joyful. I'm kind of like Our Lady in the Annunciation, right? This announcement of joy, an announcement of a calling, and then why that is beautiful. After that. Um, we realize that when Our Lady you know, presents Jesus in the temple, what happens? Um, the, the spiritual fathers call this the second annunciation, the announcement of suffering. Right. You have Simeon and saying, you know, you, your, your son will be the, the rise and fall of many and a sword, you know, the sword will pierce your heart. And Our Lady is confronted with this second announcement of suffering where she has to say yes to suffering and she has to say yes to, to God's will. And so it's similar to, to all of us, but I, I had this experience in religious life very early on where this is beautiful gift of this yeah, life. Yeah, you're talking about suffering and you're supposed to be all happy friars. Yeah, exactly. You know, we don't suffer. We don't, we don't. <laughs> you know, and, and you, everybody knows in the gospel, um, you know, straight up, Jesus says, you know, we must take up our cross. Right. Con- being conformed to Christ. Paul, St. Paul talks about it all the time. You know, to carry the wounds of Christ in our body. How did that suffering, though, appear to you? What happened? Well, you know, I was, to kind of set the stage for you, I, um, I was all set and ready to, uh, to accept a mission in England, one of our friars in England. And um, I had been dreaming to be a missionary since I was like 16 years old when I first convinced my mom to go to Gu- Guatemala with my best friend by myself right. to be a missionary. I still can't believe she let me do that. <laughs> uh, and, to, and then, so I was getting ready to be a missionary in England. And uh, it was about this time that I started to um, experience some kind of some heavy back pain. And uh, I'm sure everybody's had, it's kind of quite common to have back pain for people. And so I just thought really nothing of it. I tried to stretch out, kind of do some physical therapy. And what ended up happening over time, I would go to the doctor and um, 
I had a condition what they call spinal stenosis I was born with, and I had some herniated disc in, in my lower back. And um, I was starting, uh, starting to lose function and feeling in my legs. So um, I started to get weaker and weaker, and, and the feeling would, you know, my legs started to become numb and things like this. And the danger is, is if you don't take care of it, it becomes permanent. Right. So um, within a, like a couple months, the idea was that if we don't do some type of a surgery, um, the, this could become permanent. And uh, so my parents and myself and my superiors were faced with really no other choice but to, to do back surgery. So the idea was that we would have a small little back surgery. They called it, which is kind of funny, the McDonald's of back surgery. Just oh, meaning, yeah. Just drive meaning, through, yeah, kind of. Drive through, you know, in and right. out. And they made it kind like of sound like. a happy meal. It's like a happy you meal. You know, it's a lovely way to refer to spine surgery, you know. Yeah. You know, the doctors kind of like make you try to feel better about it. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, this will be great. Um, well, the only worst thing would be is if it was like one of our hospitals down south where they said, okay, here we go. You know, to instill that confidence <laughs> if your exactly. surgeon said that to I you. I feel better about this already, you know. <laughs> Um, so the idea was I was going to have a surgery, and I would walk home the next day. And um, it would be just a small little surgery, small little scar, and I would, I would go to therapy. And, I, and they said that I would be as good as new. Um, the back would be a feel great. I would regain strength in my legs. And, but the idea was is that there's, there's this challenge that, um, you know, in my mind and my heart, um, I, you know, again, having the super fire mentality that I can't be weak. Right. Like, I, you know, I have to have this under control. Like, I can't let this slow me down. You know, and, and I hope it was authentic, you know, the desire to go to England and to, and to really serve the Lord and pour myself out. Right. But now the Lord was like, okay, now we have this little cross that you can take up where, you know, you, you can't do whatever you want. Right. That you, you're going to have to slow down. So this, uh, this little simple procedure, this Happy Meal from McDonald's, the yeah. drive-thru, <laughs> um, it didn't go as planned, did it? It didn't go as planned. Um, I, there, there's kind of a dramatic story of um, after, after the surgery. Um, there was this mysterious doctor that uh, would, would come in every, during the night. And every hour on the hour, he'd come in and ask me to lift my legs and to move my legs. And he would touch them to see if I could feel them. And, I, and he, he would ask me the question, and I said no. Um, and what was great about it is that I thought um, that was the plan. Right. They had said they were going to give me an epidural and that I wouldn't be able to feel my legs. So the joke part of it was that I was like, no, doctor, just great. You know, I can't feel it. Don't worry about it. And he had this, you know, he had this concerned look on his face. And so – the hour, every hour he came in um, to see if I could lift my legs or, or feel my legs. And I said no. And so it was about 7 a.m., you know, that whole night he came in. And um, he's like, brother, I, I don't mean to alarm you, but I need to get the doctor, um, the surgeon, because um, y- you were supposed to feel and be able to move your legs, you know, last night. And y- it's been, you know, it's been six, seven hours, and you haven't been able to move your legs. And, and this is a very... Um, bad sign. I bet those words felt like about a thousand pounds each. I, I was sitting there and I was all alone and, and I remember just kind of this pause and I, and I was just like well, this made things a whole lot more interesting, you know? <laughs> the idea that I was supposed to walk home and, and uh, I, now I I, I, and it's hard to explain because I couldn't. Well, it's shooting bullet holes through your super monk, <laughs> you know. know. You know, this, yeah. this idea of like, well, wait a second, dude, wait, come on, do you know who I am? You know, like kind of the yeah. idea of like, well, you know, I have plans, like God has plans here. Right. You know, the idea that I could, you know, I, I have to be able to use my legs. I have to. And again, it was kind of like me centered, 
you know, it was all kind of like this desire in my heart to like, okay, I got to do this. And, you know, I have to be able to use my legs. So here's Brother Innocent. He's lying on the bed. He's paralyzed from the waist down. It sounds like a good place to uh, take a break in our show because we know you want to come back and, and hear what happened to Brother Innocent. And before we do that, we want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I'd love you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Jean-Marie Vianney was born the son of a poor farmer in Dardilly, France in 1786. He had little education as a child, but had an ardent love for the Catholic faith. He was known to teach many other children their prayers and catechism. St. John Vianney received the call to the priesthood early in life, but his lack of formal education proved an obstacle for him. He was not a good student, and his Latin was terrible. In fact, he failed his final exams. It seemed he would not become a priest after all. However, God had other plans. His love for God and Christ's church was very apparent to those who knew him at seminary, so an appeal was made on his behalf to the Vicar General of France. The Vicar General asked simply, Is he pious? The answer was undoubtedly yes. Then ordain him, decided the Vicar General. The grace of God will do the rest. St. John Vianney was ordained in 1815, In order to limit any potential negative effect, he was assigned to a remote French hamlet called Ars with only 40 households. But again, divine providence would not be outdone. God granted St. John an incredible gift. He made St. John Vianney a visionary, not only of some future events, but he had the unique gift of seeing into the hearts of the penitent. St. John Vianney's advice in the confessional was straightforward and easy to understand. He liked to invoke images that came from ordinary daily life to help the penitents. In fact, there are many stories that even the hardest of hearts were softened and sinners were converted at his mere word. It wasn't long before word got out that true miracles of conversion and healing were taking place in this tiny French village. Soon thousands upon thousands of penitents came to have the Curé of Ars, as he was called, hear their confessions. St. John Vianney spent hours and hours in the cramped confessional, sometimes as many as 18 hours in a day, and he allowed himself only a few hours of sleep at night. And even during the night, his rest was interrupted. His gift of vision was coupled with recurring torment from wrestling with the devil. And even though St. John was said to be a frail man, he was certainly a man of great impact and worth to the church. St. John Vianney, the curé of ours, died on August 4th in 1859. He is the patron saint of priests and confessors. I'm Vestrozemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. And Tom, you're riveted. You're sitting in your chair, leaning forward, hoping that you know what what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brother Innocent. So, Brother Innocent, uh, here you are. You're paralyzed from the waist down. You know, some of our listeners might 
be in that situation. Some uh, have known people who have been in that situation. And, and I know that we bring a lot of levity here at the Catholic Cafe, and we, and we, we, we talk joyously about God, and sure. we, we're jubilant in a lot of ways. But And we don't mean to, uh, I don't know, make light of some of these sure. serious situations. But I imagine even if you were telling yourself a few jokes – you still were kind of serious at that point, thinking, "Holy cow! Because this is no longer." I was, I'm super monk, right? I'm getting ready to, I'm gonna leap from the bed and I'm gonna go save the world. <laughs> exactly. When when I when I tell this story, I, I on purpose I, I, I let people know what's kind of going on, kind of in a broad sense in my life that I, that I had really an authentic desire, you know, to kind of, um, you know, to, this zealous desire just to go out there and save souls and kind of be the super monk, and um, and it, it's. It was at this point when I realized that I was, you know, that I was all alone. It was seven in the morning, no nurses around. I was, I was laying there paralyzed. That I could do nothing about this. That I can do, make it better. I didn't have the answer. Um, and no one could come in there and kind of like make this happen or make yeah, this work. For guys, that's really hard because it's, guys want to fix. Stuff. We're fixers. Yeah, we're like give me some duct tape and some string. And I'll, I'll make it happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, you know, and and so this was this was the humbling moment for myself that. Um, this was the powerful moment where the Lord had brought me to this place where I didn't, I couldn't use my gifts, couldn't use like you know my strength, you know my desires, my ze- no matter how zealous you are. Yeah, to all save those the mys world, have gone out the window. You now. know, all the mys and the eyes have gone out the window. <laughs> and from that point on, whether I knew or not, it became me centered to God centered. You know, um, that sounds kind of funny, but that's how it happened. How, Is, well, how how did that happen? Do you, have you reflected back on that? I reflected back on that because the idea is that the Lord um, not just brings me to these points in our life, but everybody. And this is, I think, what the cross is all about, that when we say yes to the cross, when we say yes, like Our Lady, to this suffering, um, it's it's saying yes to the life of God, the very life of Christ. And and at this moment in my suffering, I knew that he that I said, you know, Lord, okay, um, here's what I know. You know, I know my mom's in the room going to freak out. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I'm supposed to go to England in a couple of weeks to be, to be a missionary. You know, I know that, um, you know, this, th- I was supposed to go home, walk home tomorrow or today at this point, you know, because it was overnight. Lord, I, I know those things, but I guess the one thing I know deep down is that you're the one that can fix this. You're the only one that has the right answer, and you're the only one that can make this make sense. And so in this silent moment that really happened, that in this silent moment that I, I really encountered the Lord. And, and I remember, um, you know, people often ask, you know, was there a voice from heaven? Was there like, you know, some vision? There wasn't a vision. There wasn't. But a really profound moment of prayer and silence that the Lord said that he was there and that he loved me. And that this, um, this was kind of the thing that was going to save my vocation. Hmm. And... And it's probably good to tell the audience that this was this happened on the first Friday of Lent. Wow! Yeah, and uh, it proved to it, it would prove to keep me in the hospital, um, all of Lent, and I got out right before Holy Week, and uh, so so you really were in a period of, of waiting <laughs> and uh, reflection, waiting and reflection and, and repentance. Um, and the idea was that the Lord, I think, um, was purifying me um, through this carrying of this cross. This, and again, we all have that. You know, the Lord asks us all to carry these crosses and. And so what I guess what ended up happening was I was in the hospital for all that month, um, starting then, um, and, yeah. For so you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe I'm going to be like super wheelchair monk. Yeah, wheelchair monk, exactly. Right? I mean, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying now trying to sort of— You know, I, I knew I, I promised myself that I would be happy for my mom, 
and if the brothers came in, that, that I want to be authentic, but I wanted to help the brothers to not to worry that everything's going to be fine right. and the doctors. and Well, that's the beauty of living in community. Exactly. It? The brothers lifting you up yeah. and, and things like that. And so the idea was is that, they, you know, that I, I, the Lord gave me this grace to find a joy in it. The, the Lord gave me this grace to, to, um, to embrace it and to know that that didn't have to defeat me. You know, that I can't use my legs. But, hey, you know, the, the point is that a lot of people can't use their legs. You know, we read about a guy in the gospel whose friends had to take him to Jesus because right. he was paralyzed. You know, and so I had all these friends to take me to Jesus. I was like, man, we'll take it. You know, these people who love me were surrounding me. And the idea was is that for a whole, every day, for a month, I had therapy six hours a day. You know, to learn to learn how to walk again, to learn how to use my legs again. For about a two and a half weeks of those, I still couldn't feel my legs. So it was kind of just they would teach you how to walk and move your legs for you. Right. And uh, the idea was that over time that you you could teach yourself to use this motion again. So about after a month, I, I was able um, to use two braces and two crutches to get around. And that's when they said I could go home back to the friary. And uh, from then on, at six months, I spent um, basically therapy three times a week and exercises daily um, to learn how to walk again. So what's the condition of your legs and stuff now? Well, praise God, you know, that um, my, my back felt great. Um, after, actually, right after surgery, my back felt great. And uh, so... That would be the idea. That was kind of funny. The back felt great, but the, uh, the surgery went well. But right. you know, the, <laughs> something still happened. You know. Yeah. Um, so now, currently, praise God, the, um, everything's back, and um, I work out four times a week. Go for a nice run, and um, I really just have to take care of myself um, because, um, you know, hopefully that wouldn't. Only God wills, but hopefully that wouldn't happen again. Just because I take care of myself. So now, as you think back, though, you think back on, on what happened to you. Yeah. Right. I know it's obvious that it probably has, but how did it change you? What 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 changed in you? Because obviously you're talking about all this my and me stuff, and now well, you're talking I think about unconsciously God. our generation. And um, I, I just speak for you know the you know the 20 year olds and even younger. It just focused a lot about on us, our gifts, our talents, what we can give to people, what we can give to the world. And unconsciously, I don't think we mean to do it in a bad way, um, but it's very we're very self sufficient. It's like I, I got this, I can handle this. Right. And the Lord took me to that point. Um, where he showed me in a re- really real way that it's not about me at all, that I got, I got no answer, that I got nothing when it comes to his love, his power, his providence. And it took to that point where the Lord stripped everything. You know, guys, I was, I was laying in the hospital. Right. You know, they, I wasn't in my habit. They took that from me. Um, you know, they, they called me by, bab- my, by my baptismal name because those insurance companies always uh, <laughs> <laughs> want that sure. legal name. <laughs> yeah, want that legal name. Um, I, was, I wasn't in a friary. I wasn't able to go to Mass. Only on Sundays they had at, at the hospital, but un, unable to have a holy hour every day to pray. So you really were in the desert there. I was in the desert. The Lord had taken all this stuff from me so he could tell me and show me what I took for granted. The fact that I had all these gifts that really gave me life, an abundant life. But I took for granted. It was still kind of all about me that like, oh, wow, like, you know, I really... Hopefully, with an authentic desire to, to love the Lord and to change people and to change the world. But the Lord took that, all that for me to come to a point to realize that it's Jesus. It's his power. It's his love. It's his, the gift of his life in us. And so I remember laying in the hospital all by myself and, and no one around, no brothers, everybody gone. And I realized Lord, I, I, that moment in my heart where the Lord gave me the grace to realize, Lord, I surrender everything to you. This is it. Like, I realize that I cannot do this the way I have been doing it. I realize that I will lose my vocation, that it will become all about me if I keep doing it this way. 
And um, at that moment, like, it's almost like these shackles were kind of taken off, like, or like you hold on and you just right. kind of let go. And you kind of, like, see yourself just kind of, like, throw it all before the Lord. You know, it, it's very interesting, and, and it's very insightful and uh, divinely inspired to think in, in a sense that, that this happened to you during Lent. Because, you know, obviously, we go through the Lenten experience, and then only then, after we've been through that Lenten experience, can we, can we glory in Easter, right, in exactly. the resurrection. Amen. Right? And, we, and, we, and we don't know what that's going to be like, but we know it's going to be great because Scripture tells us it's, all day long it's going to be fantastic. And, right? and amen. Like, and it's beautiful because everybody has these experiences, these sufferings. And then there comes a point where we see the victory. Right. There's a little resurrection, a little and mini there, resurrection And in sometimes, our lives. you know, it's just many. You know, sometimes the Lord just gives us a glimpse and then we might suffer again. But this is what we have to see. It's almost like you have to have the new eyes to see what the Lord did. And, and if I could just share the, the meditation in my heart along and still in my prayer life was, um, if you're familiar um, with, I think our audience is familiar with the Good Shepherd. This shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one. And, um, and it shows, I, I love this word, it shows kind of how absurd love is. You know, that our God loves us so radically that, that he would leave 99 of the good sheep. And, you know, and go after the one who, who's kind of rebellious and who kind of wants to do stuff on his own. Kind of wants kind of the me attitude. And it, I, I, re- I recently heard this from a priest that it's, it, it, the shepherd, kind of a modern day shepherd, um, when this does happen, the sheep kind of go away what happens is that he goes and gets the sheep and he breaks its legs i've heard that and and that's the famous picture we see where he puts right. it on the shoulder and he brings it back to the fold and what happens is he, he heals it he heals the sheep whites by the father's side and so as this heals as the sheep heals he knows the father's love and the father's provision and the protection and i heard in my heart that um that the lord had to go for my legs Right. And, um, and I heard in my heart during that time that this, you know, from the Lord, he said, this was the only way that you'd let me carry you. Wow. Amen. It was the only way. And uh, so this was, this was the dynamic of, you know, the Lord went for the legs. And, and so I tell people, the, and when I speak with him, I, I beg you, I beg the audience right now to let the Lord paralyze you. Paralyze your fears, your pride, your selfishness, kind of the me part of you. Because this is when he can come in and really save us. And, and this is when we come in and, and really know what it means to suffer with joy, to right. suffer with peace, to suffer with this love that is only him. And even in those times when the outcome is not what we want it to be. Exactly. If you were still lying in that hospital bed, you still have the same thought process here, right? You've still now realized what God was doing uh, in your life. And I guess it would be fair to say that this whole suffering, this whole um, episode in your life was really a gift. The gift. And I said it. I said it earlier. Like it saved. I think it saved my vocation, saved my life. And and I always. I'm haunted, to be honest with you, Deacon. I'm haunted by the fact that would I still have the same attitude if I was in here in a wheelchair? Would I still have the same attitude? And only in grace can we say, like, if we experience these, these things in our life, and the Lord touches us and gives us this grace, and He brings us back to the fold. I, I hope that all of us we could say, Lord, let it be done. As long as I can be close to you, take my feet, take my arms, take whatever. As long as I can be living in union, you know, and, and have this gift of, of being an intimate, living an intimate life with you. What an amazing and beautiful testimony. Brother Innocent, thank you so much for thank sharing you. that with us. I'm and very I hope, grateful. It, thank I hope you, it inspires others as much as it's inspired me. Beautiful. Thank you thank so much you. for thank sharing you, with us. Let's you. close in prayer. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your only Son, our Lord Jesus, to pay the full price for our sinfulness in order that we might be reconciled to you. Help us to unite our own suffering to Christ's suffering on the cross, and so to personally participate in God's eternal plan of salvation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.